Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. My guest today is E.A. Solkovitz. His humble beginnings were that of the son of a milkman. At the ripe age of 16, he started his business career at a commission sales job selling janitorial services to business owners. And that's when his life changed. E.A., thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? Great, great, great. Thank you. Absolutely great. I have to say, uh, I'm so blessed. There was three times today I was wishing I was me. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, and that is such a powerful statement. It, it really is because it's called love, right? You have to love yourself. I appreciate that. So the energy is positive, obviously. Yes. When I was looking at your bio, you're like a Hollywood actor with a hundred movies. Come on now. <laughs> it, <laughs> and the amazing thing is my bio still isn't as long as my last name. And <laughs> how do you say your last name? Go for it. Slowly. You say it slowly. That's how you say it. And no, the, uh, the, the, the key with the last name is uh, forget the C is even there. It's Austrian. So sort of think Schwarzenegger, 15 consonants, one vowel, you know, so it's pronounced Solkovitz. So I, so I mentioned to people just, uh, you know, forget the C is there because that, that's always what throws them no matter. And the funny thing is, over all the years, even when I say, when I say, how do you spell your last name? I'll say CS. You know, they'll always put SC. It's the funniest thing. And it, like, I just didn't say what I said. And I've seen that thousands of times. It's the weirdest thing how our mind sort of works. And to me, that's sort of fascinating. Right, right. So you really, really got deep into business at a very young age. At 16? You were already a salesman? Yes. And uh, let me tell you, I talk about being a, a tough scenario. Here it was, uh, it, before then, uh, my husband, my husband, my father, I, I have a wife, by the way, uh, my, my <laughs> just, no just wanted to mention that right there, you know, but uh, and, and for 40 years, I, I might also mention, so happily so. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think it's a little bit of a novelty today, you know, to be married for 40 years and and uh, I, and I have to say, I got the I got the better end of the stick. There's no question. I'm the one that uh, I really benefit the most. 
But my father, when I was, uh, you know, he had a distributorship for a company called Twin Oaks. I lived in Chicago, greater Chicago land area. He had a, a basically distributorship meant a route, a milkman route. So I was familiar with sort of working for yourself a little bit because my father had his own route. You know, he got up in the morning and at five years old, I would help him deliver milk. And yeah. back then, uh, and, and I don't know if you remember this, but yes, it did. I definitely do. And being 65 years old and milk came in glass gallons and, and there was a box outside the house that was called the milkman box. And, uh, and, and, you know, the funny thing was Raphael was that everyone knew there was money in the box and no one touched it. You know, they, that was the milkman money. They, the, you know, they put money there in a list of what they wanted, eggs or milk or cream or whatever it was. And, and, uh, and it was amazing. No one ever touched the milkman money. Not one time. Right. But I, but I was, that was my, my first little dab with, you know, sort of working for yourself and not working a, a J-O-B, which I've always believed means just over broke. And, uh, and, and so then from that, yeah, 16 years old, and, it, and that happened really because the guy was a, a friend of the family, mm. uh, the owner of this janitorial service. So I started cleaning for him first, uh, which was actually what led to a huge, two real significant events in my life. But it, as, as cleaning, you might talk about a hard sales job. Here I am, 16 years old, and started out cleaning, and then I got into doing some commission sales, right? And I got 10% of the account. So whatever we build the accounts that I was able to bring in, I got 10%. And, and I did that for a few hours during a day, and then a little bit more and more in between cleaning, et cetera. So I'd clean, and then I'd go in an area and canvas right. an area with brochures while I was in that area cleaning. And that was my sales job. But Raphael, tough job. Mm. Here, these companies have had 100 cleaning services. They know they're all the same. They all hire the very cheapest possible help and do the cheapest possible job. And here I am, 16-year-old saying, we're better than everyone else and hire us. You know, So I got to say, I, I learned a lot about rejection and I learned a lot about, you got to be kidding me. I've heard that someone say that 100 times already. Even at 16 years old, I was getting that little, you know, sort of knock on the chin a few times, if you will, and, and just sort of learn to casually throw it away. Like it didn't mean anything to me, you know? Right. You know, so many people have a hard time with rejection. You didn't. You realize that, hey, <laughs> the next customer may say yes. So rejection is such a fear for people. And it, it comes whether you're selling something or you're asking for something, right? So even kids, sometimes they'll go and ask their parents, but they already know their parents are going to say no. So that maybe they'll stop asking. But I know if a kid asks a thousand times, that eventually your parents are going to get annoyed and they're going to go, okay. So we should not be afraid of rejection. It's just, it might not be right for you, but someone else is going to say yes. I appreciate that. I don't know why, as you were speaking, it made me uh, brought to mind uh, when my son, who, you know, is uh, in his late twenties now, but you know, maybe four or five years old, and he would come in the living room, and my wife and I would be sitting there, and and uh, and and he'd come in and ask for something, and I'd say no, and he'd walk out of the room, and I'd look at my wife, and I'd say, you know, he's going to be back in five minutes, and he's going to take a whole nother approach, and she'd start laughing. She said, I know, and 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 we would we would literally count how many times and how imaginative he could be at take, using different approaches. <laughs> <laughs> to get the his same thing, you know, I'll clean the room extra good. I'll help in the garage. I, you know, and it was, it was amazing to watch. And he just, he would keep, he would circle around and five or 10 minutes, 30 minutes later, come back in with the same premise in mind, but a whole nother way to go at it. 
And, and I thought, you know, here he is, you know, no one ever taught him that. He just has got his mindset on what he wants. And it's a shame that later on in life, we sort of buy into those things. Yeah. And, and, and we don't realize a lot of times the no just means our approach is bad. <laughs> and we need a new approach. And here I am learning it from my four or five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. You know, thinking about that, you're right. It's the approach. It's the inflection. It's how we move. It's what we say. So words are so important in, in how we even put them together. You know, when we think about kids, if they have two parents at home, they'll ask the easier person first, right? And then mom said, no, hmm, let me go ask dad. And then they'll ask dad. And then mom's dad says, no. Yeah, exactly. He'll, dad will say, go ask your mom. And then he goes, hmm, I already asked mom. She said, no. How do I ask mom again? Dad told me yes. <laughs> so sometimes kids going to get into trouble yeah. because they're trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. And if like you and your wife, you knew what was going to happen. And we have to yeah. continue to nourish that in our kids. Exactly right. Find a different way. Yeah. And I will accept your offer if you find a better way, right? You got to bring me something new and fresh. That's right. And, and, we can, and we can carry that into all aspects of our life, really, because, you know, as my business mentor said, he said, when someone says no, N-O, that really means they don't know K-N-O-W. And he said, uh, when they say no, they don't know. Mm. And he also taught me, we win or lose with the words we choose. We win or lose with the words we choose. Craft your words properly. Think mm. about it in advance. And, and when you get a no, remember, the no is the right answer. You ask the wrong question. The no, they always give the right answer. There's no wrong answer when you're approaching someone, whether it be from a coaching situation or sales situation. They always will give the right answer because the right answer is from their perspective. What I need to do is adjust my approach, and then I'll start getting the right answer when I start really paying attention to what they're looking for as opposed to what I may be interested in. Growing up with your dad, seeing that he delivered milk and you helped him along, you probably learned a lot of lessons in that process. Yep. And that's eventually what got you into at 16 to do all these things you're doing. What would you say is one of the funnier parts of delivering milk? Well, uh, it was a common practice. And this was sort of funny, Mike, because the route was, mm. you know, in, in certain neighborhoods, and traffic was different back then. And my father would keep no the truck in gear and it would roll down the middle of the street with no one in it. Yeah. Wow. And, and he would be going out one side and I would go out the other side with milk because we knew after a while, you just knew, you know, what the thing. And, and if there was a list inside, uh, that was because there was something different. Otherwise, they sort of had like a standing order. You know, this was the. I guess this is the beginning of auto ship, <laughs> you know, because you, you already knew what it was. You knew what the customer was going to get. So as the truck's rolling with no one in it, very, just barely idling down the street, my father's going out the driver's side, carrying milk and delivering, going in and out of the truck while it's going forward. And I'm out the right side, you know, five years old on delivers. And it was on numerous occasions where, especially in the wintertime in Chicago, you know, it's some interesting winters to say the least. And, uh, and milk was in glass containers, so two gallons. And they had already, I remember the handles were orange plastic handles oh and the two gallons. So I had two, at five years old, two gallons on one side, two gallons on the other. And I'm walking, going to this house. 
And I'd turn the corner and there's ice on the sidewalk and you'd hear pop, 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 pop. And I'd come back with four plastic handles and white shoes. <laughs> and so that was, that was, that happened on more than one occasion. They probably went to plastic and cartons because of me. I don't know, you know, they. <laughs> Oh, well, you know what? All the cats in the neighborhood were happy. Oh, they loved me. They thought we were the best, you know. And and so did the kids, because when it was summer, my father would chop off ice and he would throw ice to the kids and they would run behind the truck mm. and uh, he'd give them like chunks of ice and, you know, put juice and grape juice on them and stuff. And it was, it was just different, you know, but uh, it was just weird that he had the truck just rolling down the center of the street in gear, just idling, basically, you know. And uh, and so it was a funny time. Well, when you think about it, your dad had a system, right? And in business, to be successful, we have to have systems. Even how do we answer the phone? How do we greet a new customer? How do we do an intake? So all these things, your dad had a system. And I don't know if that showed you at a young age that, hey, you know, this one, it works. That system, right? And I know it had an impact on me on get the thing done because the whole thing was get the route done, right? Because as soon as we got the route done, we had off, off the rest of the day. So, you know, because I asked him the first time, I said, why do you keep the truck rolling? Isn't that a little dangerous? And as long as there was no cars on the street, because everyone else was at work, you know, so there's plenty, of, he had plenty of time to get that back to the truck because it was just idling anyway. But it, it, I, I guess you're right that there was probably those times where it, it put in my mind forward motion, continuous forward motion. Uh, keep going forward, keep going towards the objective, get the thing done. Don't sit there and idle and static yeah. in the middle of the road. So, yeah, I suppose, you know, even with this one man route, if you will, um, you know, there, there was interesting lessons that my father was teaching me just through my observations. Right, right, right. At 21, talk to me. I mean, you're just an anomaly, right? Your business sense has grown because you've had special people in your life, mentors and coaches. And this is why I started this podcast, because to me, a mentor or a coach is really everything. I mean, who do we learn from? I mean, we can make a hundred mistakes, but if we have the right person in, 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 in our life, they're going to help us and say, hey, look, I made all these hundred mistakes. Why don't you do it this way? And then maybe we'll make maybe two mistakes instead of a hundred. So having a mentor is important. And you had several. Um, talk to me about your first, first mentor, besides your dad, obviously. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and there's two stories with that I'd like to share with your listeners because they were, mm. they were good experiences in my life. And both of them, interestingly, happened when I was a janitor. So here I'm 16 years old, you know, my fun time of a day is getting free songs on a jukebox, cleaning bowling alleys at two in the morning, and then driving through neighborhoods and business industrial parks and giving out brochures. Mm -hmm. But at 16 years old, I was able to be bonded, which means insured. So I could also clean in really expensive places, places that had a lot of expensive things inside. And because of that, I was able to clean the home of a lady whose name was June Martino. And I was in there every single Wednesday, every Wednesday. And um, you may not be familiar with her, but for your listeners that have seen the movie that's called mm -hmm. The Founder, uh, it's with Michael Keaton. He plays Ray Kroc, and it's about McDonald's and et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, it's very Hollywoodized, to say the least, that's for sure. But it is, a, it is based on a lot of events. Right. And I was born and raised in the Chicagoland area, specifically around the Oak Brook area, which is where the McDonald's headquarters was for the world, right? Mm. So in my lifetime, I watched 
and personally witnessed the whole McDonald's phenomenon. In the movie, uh, Michael Keaton, who plays Ray Kroc, he's constantly talking to this lady outside his office, and his name is June. Her name is June. Wow. He keeps talking to June, and you, you see him in the movie doing it constantly. That's the lady whose house I clean, right? So that's June Martino, who ended up having the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. That was a great movie, by the way. Great movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it is a great movie. And, and the, many of the events, you know, were accurately nodded to, I guess you could say, and the rest was Hollywood drama. They just spun in there, right? But uh, so June, that same lady, by the way, and I, obviously that's an actress, but the real June Martino, every Wednesday. And that was my first touch, if you will, with real, real success, because mm. I had always thought, Raphael, that to be successful, you had to be a jerk. You had to take advantage of people. You had to be me too oriented. You had to always be condescending. And I didn't like that, you know, and, and June, that was fascinating to me because she wasn't that way. Mm. She was kind. She was never condescending. She had maids and butlers. And here I am in there every Wednesday, buffing her floors with special buffing pads because of special tile she had. And she always said hi. She always said hello. Always had a smile. And I thought, man, she's a real <laughs> nice person. And also, she's not like an alien or a superhero or something. So this is way different for what I had thought, because now I'm seeing a person be nice and happy and really genuinely rich and successful. Right. And I thought this is really something. So one day, ripe old age of 16 years old, mm. I mustered up all of my courage and I'm going to ask June a question because she was in an extra good mood. And I, went there, I said, June. And I said, hi. And she said, oh, hi. Always very approachable. And uh, I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And I said, could you tell me about it? And she looked at me and said, well, what? And I said, McDonald's, the whole McDonald's thing. I'm not kidding, Raphael. She put her arm around me, brought mm -hmm. me in the kitchen and told me the entire story right. from when, before Ray met the brothers, because she worked for him when he was a milkshake mixer salesman. She still, she worked for him then, right? Wow. And, and continued all the way through until all the way up to the second, we're sitting in the kitchen and everything in between. She even had the maids and butlers bringing in food in the kitchen so she could keep telling me the story. There was, and I'm thinking, Gee, this is the June, and she's telling me all this stuff. So at one point in the story, mm -hmm. and you'll remember this in the movie because they, they do reference it. June goes to Ray and said, we don't have any money. We have money go, and, and that prompts a phone call for Ray to call the brothers and they have a drama scene where Ray says, I need more percentage, I need more percentage, I'm losing money because I'm not making enough, right? Now that part was accurate, it didn't necessarily happen that way. Wow. But she told me this story decades before the movie came out that that really had happened. Hmm. And she, sa she said to me, Ray could not afford to pay me money, so there was no money. And he paid me in worthless, right. worthless, less than worth, worthless company stock wasn't worth anything underwater and he agreed to take some of my bill collector phone calls so the bill collectors wouldn't hound me and so i looked at her and i said june i'm a janitor i work friday to friday i get paycheck on friday if i don't get my paycheck on friday i'm not showing on saturday <laughs> why'd you do it and you know Raphael, i could tell mm -hmm. i had just asked her a question no one had asked because everyone to know what happened with mcdonald's no one ever asked her why. So when I say, why did you do that? Why did you work for nothing? She sat back and stared at me, did this eye lock on me, but I could tell she wasn't home. She was thinking, I genuinely had provoked a thought that she had never had to consider before. Mm. And then when she spoke, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I still remember her tone inflection. I remember what she said and how she said it. When I said, why did you do it? Why did you work for nothing? Worthless company stock, no money. Mm. 
why'd you do it? And her answer was, because I believed in Ray. And right then, Raphael, my first thought instantly, I remembered like it was yesterday. My first thought was, mm. that's it. I need to find a Ray Kroc. <laughs> I need to find, see, I didn't even know what mentor was. I didn't know how to spell it. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I got my hooked on phonics money and I spent that on something else. So I didn't know how to, you know, phonics or nothing. And uh, so, it, and, but I remember thinking, it. I need to find someone who knows this stuff, who will bring me under their wing, like Ray Kroc, put her under his wing and look at where she is today. I need a Ray Kroc. So I threw that out there at the ripe old age of, you know, just past 16 at this point. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really something I, 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 I need. That's what I need. I need so I know I'm a son of a milkman. Mm. I know my fun time is getting free songs on jukebox at two in the morning, cleaning bowling alleys. I know that I don't know what I need to know and I need to find someone who does. Mm -hmm. And that set up in my life, the need for a mentor. And, uh, and, and then it wasn't a couple of months later, again, at the janitorial service, the second event there specifically. So my first inkling that I needed a mentor, not even knowing what a mentor was or how to spell it was when I met June and she told me about Ray. Right. A couple months later, we get a phone call to janitorial service. It was in Addison, Illinois. And uh, only the boss and I are there because he was a friend of the family. And I had already punched out for the day. And we were just sort of sitting around talking. So he answered the phone. A couple minutes later, hangs up the phone. He said, well, some guy just called. He's opening a diamond store in uh, Berkeley, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. And uh, I need someone to show him some carpeting tonight because he's leaving tomorrow, uh, going back to Detroit. I said, okay, uh, what's that got to do with me? He said, I need you to go. And I said, Jerry. Now, think about how many times I say no to this event. I said, Jerry, no, I'm not going. I've already punched out. I'm tired. I've been cleaning all day. I'm tired. That was the first time I said no. He said, I need you to go because I, I have to stay here at the office. I said, Jerry, I'm not going. Second time I said no. Hmm. He said, I'll tell you what. If you go, I'll give you your pick of any Saturday off you want. I'm Raphael for a janitor. Right. That's a huge negotiation chip because we work cleaning places when businesses are closed. So Saturday morning till night, we're cleaning straight through. So to have a Saturday off is like, oh, you got to be kidding. Golden. <laughs> yeah, right. Really, it really is. You know, it's like the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. You know, this is the ticket, right? So I repeated it back to make sure I misunderstood. I didn't misunderstand. I said, any Saturday I want off? He said, yes, any Saturday. Right. I sighed and I said, okay. So I'm setting the stage now, Raphael. I do not want to go. I'm tired physically, mentally, emotionally. There's the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm going to get a Saturday off at some point in the future and I get to pick when. That's it. Doesn't my boss doesn't matter to me. This guy I'm going to meet, all the stuff, none of it. Little do I know, I'm getting ready to meet the man that will change the trajectory of my life forever, my ultimate coach. Mm. So I share with your listeners. Be cautious and be aware of those moments in time that are on the edge of a dime that seem so insignificant at that moment that will really manifest into the huge life-changing events in our life. So I went in and met this guy and all of a sudden, and, and, and Raphael, have you ever met someone where you felt like you've known him before? Oh, yeah. There's like this instant rapport, right? I mean, just, you feel like you can talk with, and I did. We sat there talking, this is at nighttime already, and we're, we're talking about everything. 
and the carpeting was a no-go because he needed something real plus for a diamond store and we we just had commercial grade so that was nothing there was nothing there to show him but we talked for a couple of hours about anything and everything and I, I thought man this guy's really something and I could tell he was happy I could just feel it I could sense it I could see he was very successful I was coming out of his pores almost I could see and I thought, man, this guy's really, this is a really good guy that went, you know, I mean, I didn't sell any carpeting, but really? it, was, it was worthwhile. So as I'm leaving Raphael, he offers me a job. I said, no, third time. I said, no, I, I, I'm all set. You know, I, I, people can always make a mess and I can always clean it up. My career path is all set as a janitor. I'm, I'm all there. And then as uh, he walked out, he, off, he offers me again. And then he hooks me. Little did I know that I was talking to genuinely a real genuine in the truest sense, not IQ, BS or baloney, mm -hmm. a real true genius right. as it relates to what I would say, human engineering people, a real genius in that area. And he, I, I had no idea what that phrase he was about ready to say, what it was going to do to me, but he knew right up front, he already had me totally pegged. As I'm walking out the door, he says, and I remember the tone inflection he even used. Mm. He said, what do you have to lose? You could always go back being a janitor. <laughs> and I said, no, again, and I leave. Now I'm in the car and this is grinding me. I thought, oh man, this is, he's right. I could always go back being a janitor. I mean, you know, people are always gonna make a mess. I could always find a job anywhere if I needed to pick it up after people. I mean, they're always gonna do that, right? I said, so I got halfway home. It's almost midnight. now. Mm. I turn around. I said, I'm going to go. Well, he's probably gone. I'm going to drive back anyway. He was there. I mean, he was there. I thought he was long gone to the airport or leaving back the hotel or something. He's still there. I said, okay, what do you have in mind? So he, he told me specifically what he had in mind. I said, I know nothing about diamonds. I said, all I know is they're expensive. Mm. Someday a lady's going to ask me for one. That's all I know about diamonds. And he said, well, I'll teach you. So for the next four months, I got in the car at Friday night, Saturday morning, wow. four in the morning, really Saturday morning, drove 301 miles. I remember the mileage exactly. 301 miles from Chicago to Detroit, had a six hour meeting with him, got back in the car, drove all the way home all in the same day and did that every single weekend for four months in a row and never missed a weekend. Nice. And he was testing me. He was testing me. Was I really... Did I really want it? Did I, was I really that serious? And when the time was right subsequent to that, I just came out and asked him, I said, Sam, will you teach me? Will you be, I, I, I know you know it and I don't. I'm a burnt out son of a milkman, burnt out janitor. I said, I, 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 will you teach me everything you know? I want, I'll just be like a sponge if you'll just teach me. I, please, coach me, teach me, mentor me, all these things, will you please? And he said, all right, I will, but I need one thing from you. You were ready. You were ready, absolutely ready. I want to let you know, Raphael, whatever he said next, I was definitely going to say yes. Right. <laughs> it, 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 I was, I was told it didn't matter what he said. So he said, here's what I want. When the time is right, and you will know that time, hmm. I want you to teach as many people as possible everything that I teach you. And I said, okay. And at the ripe old age at this point of 19 years old, I made a vow. Hmm. I made a commitment. I made an oath at 19 years old to my mentor right. and the father I never had, even though I have a father, I became the son he never had, even though he had a son, we were that close, how we changed, put together all those burnt out wires in my mind and all and rewired them all and taught me step by step with perseverance and 
persistence and patience to say the least, you know, I don't know how many times he proved to me, he was more out for me than I was mm -hmm. because of my impetuousness and ignorance and young age and not knowing. Right. And, 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 and still he had the patience and stayed there. And that same vow and oath and commitment manifested today into what is known as Givers University. Yeah. You know, you bring up a, a good thought, which is when the student is ready, the teacher will appear because you realize that you were ready. You just didn't know you were ready. Exactly right. And so I share with your listeners, if you don't have a mentor, get one. And, you know, and, and then, and if you don't have a coach, get one. And, but be discerning, you know, don't just listen. I mean, I have to say, and I can say truthfully, I've met a lot of educated idiots in my life. And those are people that have all the book knowledge and all the interesting, amazing <laughs> quotes and, and uh, ridiculous, nebulous, arduous swaths of statement that just, and then at the end of it, you go, uh, okay, that sounded really good, but what do I do with that? Because they don't know what to do with any of it. There's no wisdom. It's just education. And there's a huge difference. I'll take a person with wisdom over someone with education any day of the week. Mm. You know, thinking about what do you learn when you're going to school is not necessarily what you're going to use in real life. Of course, a lot of it you will, but some things you'll never use, right? So, you know, so many people went to woodshop in high school. Exactly. They don't know anything about it and they don't care. So many people went to home economics or all these different things. They don't use any of it. So wouldn't it be great if at a young age we can try to figure out what is it that so-and-so wants and try to have that available to them so that they can go in that direction? But we don't know because so many college students go to college, graduate, and they don't even follow that career. They do something totally different. Yes, for sure. And uh, it, I don't know, as you were speaking there, Raphael, brought the mind of my, when I was becoming, I became a commercial pilot to fly my own planes and years later. But when I was getting ground school, uh, you know, be, becoming a private pilot. So cool. Over, I, he must have said it a thousand times. I, I love the, the instructor we had that was teaching the ground school, you know. Mm. He must have said a thousand times, Raphael, the only reason you're learning this, and I wish my teachers in school would have taught me this. Mm. He said over a thousand times that the only reason you're learning this is to pass the test. Mm. You will not use this. This is not have. This has nothing to do with flying. This is not what. In fact, the technology and the instruments used today are not an ADF, which is a beacon kind of thing they used. And he said these things aren't even used anymore. He said, but it's still a part of the test, so you have to learn it to pass the test. He said, but I'm telling you, he must have said it a thousand times. Every time he opened his mouth, I thought he was going to say. The only reason you're learning this is to pass the test. You are not going to use this while you're flying. And I would love to have a lot of instructors in school <laughs> teaching me. The only reason you're learning this is to pass the test because when it gets to real life, you know, you're going to school to learn how to learn because a lot of the things you're going to learn, you're not going to be using because there may not be wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom is learning what to, knowing what to do and when to do it. Education is just knowing from a book. And I've known a lot of people read books that, had no idea how to apply what they're doing. Or even common sense. You know, common sense is living, right? Exactly. Let, let me ask you a question. And I'm sure a lot of people probably ask you the same question. Yes. Your name is EA, right? And a lot of people have a full name and you abbreviate it yours. 
why you do that? <laughs> um, so I had PA to give him a bailout easy. on the last name. <laughs> anyway, well, and, and also, EEA is my first and middle initial. And, uh, and so it just sort of settled in over the years, you know, and mm. uh, I sort of adopted it uh, <laughs> until I was 12 years old. I thought my name was Go Chop Wood. So, you know, it didn't really matter. <laughs> so, the, so uh, you know, so EA just, it was a little bit unique and different and easy for people because mm. then they could, you know, they look at that Whopper last name and all, there's usually just a long pause. So and that I just sort of migrated with it. I'm a thousand percent great with it and happy. And I, I answer to that and many other things. <laughs> so EA, you have, like I said, you, you've been in who's who in public speaking, right? Yes. But here's the thing. You started very young. And a lot of people who start young, they just, you could have stayed as a janitor. But luck and a window of opportunity presented itself to you. You have done so much. And not only did you decide to do it for yourself, and what Sam said to you is, you have to make me a promise that you're going to teach everyone else what I teach you. And I think that was his legacy, if you think of it. Because he wanted more people to have his knowledge. And you've done that. You've trained tens of thousands of people. How was that for you? And how was it? And what did it do for you training everybody? And you're still doing it. Am I right? Yes, for sure. And thank you for asking that. And I have to say, mm. it's real simple. You know, it's a blessing. And I'm very fortunate. Uh, you know, I. You know, I, I, I give credit where credit's due to my father up above and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and, I, and I, I really love being able to help people and, and watching and witnessing their lives improve and transform because of things that no one ever taught them. And to look at the, the light bulb go off and, and, and you see it on their face when the light bulb goes off and they go, mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. That's exactly what I needed to hear. That's exactly what I needed to learn. And, and my personal feelings on Raphael is I don't want to stop. I don't plan on ever retiring. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, when I hit 70, I'll, you know, I'll probably go down to, I'm a 65 now. I may go down to, you know, five days a week. <laughs> and then with 75, I may go down to, you know, four days a week, but I, I still need to, because I feel in my heart that as I, keep giving and keep contributing yeah. those same things keep coming back to me in my life and quite candidly Raphael, i don't want to turn that faucet off because i've seen the i've seen the benefits of that faucet just flowing over and over and over again yeah. by contributing and helping in other people's lives so i i enjoy that faucet flow mm. and because of that and i know that you know the fast way to turn it off is if i stop giving if i stop doing if i stop sharing and coaching and teaching i know then that I, it's just like watching going over to a faucet and turning that thing off and i'm not going to do that I, I enjoy the benefits of not doing that and i'm just I'm, every single day i can tell you genuinely i feel so much more blessed than i even deserve i really genuinely feel that way let, let me ask you something ea because sam did it for you when you were 16. have you found your prodigy yes awesome. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 and I have, and, uh, and, and then, you know, as a, as a one person, if you will, and then also then uh, subsequently, you know, in masses because of, you know, it's funny how, mm -hmm. 
you know, one of the things my business mentor taught me, every adversity occurs with the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Oh. And the last year has been certainly inside out with the COVID, you know, craziness and all that. However, it brought about this online experience that never really existed to the extent. And now we have online courses and all kinds of things we may not have even done, right. or certainly not at this time. And to the extent to be able to share now in countries, in mass all over the place. You know, it, it's a pleasure to, to talk and share with you. And the, the people that I talk with, you know, I mean, Australia, India, I mean, you know, all, people all over the world, I'm having conversations like I'm having with you right now. And all of that really took place because of this weirdness in the last year, it got catapulted straight up, you know, and, um, and the online world really, really became much more than it was before in the last 12 months. It existed, but it really became true, you know, and Zoom calls and all that. And COVID brought a lot of turmoil, a lot, a lot of heartache but it brought so many opportunities that were not there before or so many eye openers because when you hit a brick wall, you have a choice. You can stop and say, Oh, that brick wall. And it could be like a hundred feet high. I can't jump that high. Well, climb it go around it, get a sledgehammer and break it. You have to just find a different way. And I think COVID has taught a lot of us, how to find a different way to still do business. For me, the reason I started doing this coaching call, I'll be honest with you, I saw so many coaches come out of the woodwork who were not worth anything. They were just schemers, really, is what they were, con men, con women. And there are so many amazing coaches out there. And I said, I got to do something for everyone who is a legitimate coach, anybody who actually cares and wants to make a difference in our world and, and empower other people, not someone who is in it just for themselves. And this is why I started doing this. Initially, I was going to do a martial arts podcast. And I said, no, this is way bigger than that. Because talking to you, if it was a martial arts podcast, we may have been talking because you're a second degree black belt also. But we wouldn't be talking about all these things. We'd be talking just about martial arts. And so with that in mind, what martial art are you a second degree in? It's actually called Chung Mukwan. I used to teach, uh, uh, and it's a combination. Uh, you know, Monday, I used to teach in years past. Uh, let's see, Monday was uh, karate, and Tuesday was Tai Chi, and Wednesday was kicks, and Thursday was Taekwondo, and Friday was Kung Fu. Mm. And uh, we taught all those things. And then Saturday... And Sunday was weapons training. So we got trained in 30 different weapons uh, over the years. And, and uh, that was a very enjoyable part. And again, from an instructing standpoint and seeing people's lives change. And also, by the way, uh, there's a lot of human engineering there because even one of the best things that we can do as we choose those people we want to have around us, martial arts is it's not self-aggression training, it's self-defense. Yeah. And one of the best things, as you well know, one of the first things I teach you is the best defense against an attack is not be present. I call it run through. Don't be there. <laughs> Get out of the way. Don't be there when it happens. You said something about the martial arts and, and, and the martial arts, when you think about it and when you really get deep into it, and it doesn't matter if you're punching and kicking or whatever, it's more of an internal art because you're focusing on you in order to get good at any martial art. And it doesn't matter the style. All styles are amazing. In order to get good at anything, you have to focus on you. And the same thing goes with anything in business, right? If you want to be a great salesman, 
you got to focus on you first. You got to practice your pitch. You got to know the words you're going to say. Every detail is going to make you successful or not successful. Depends. Do you pay attention to the details or are you looking at the bigger picture? Because it's the details, the little things that make up the bigger things. So focus on the little things so that you can grow. That's greatly put. And you mentioned an interesting thing there about the, the digression moment. You mentioned about hitting the wall. Uh, you know, when people hit that big wall and they don't know what to do. And two things my business mentor shared with me relating that specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and his name was Sam Robbins. And God bless him. But I tell you, what a, what a blessing it was to have him as a mentor. One of the first things he taught me was never use the word failure. He said, get rid of it. Throw it out of your vernacular. He said, because failure has an eternal ring to it. He said, start relabeling events when you're tackled. He said, and you're going to be tackled. Relabel them as temporary defeats because that's all they are. And he said, and when you're tackled, you're going to stand up and realize you just got a first down. You're still in the game. He said, when you say failure, you're throwing yourself out of the game. Don't throw yourself out of the game. And he said, use temporary defeat. And then he also said, be careful of the questions. He said, it's, he says, everyone always wants to look for what's the answer in life and what's the answer wrong. He said, it's not about the answers. It's about the questions. He said, we are all self-fulfilling prophecies. And when we ask a question, our life immediately moves in the direction of the answer, whether we want it to or not. Mm. It happens even by default. He said, so be careful of the questions you ask. He said, and discern with your questions and you'll always have the right answer. He said, don't be worried about the answers. They're always there. He said, everyone says, I need the answer. I need the answer. He said, look at their lives. They're, don't look at the answer. Think about the right question to ask. When a person asks, how come I always had the wrong people in my life? Guess what? They continue to move in that direction. And the answer is always there with what? The wrong people in their life. Right. Why don't, you know, and, and, and I think part of that was inadvertently, I stumbled upon the right question and said, where do I find my mentor? Where do I find my Ray Kroc? I need a Ray Kroc. Where do I find him? How do I find that? Right. Inadvertently. I asked the, I tripped into the right question, literally stumbled into it. And, but then what happened was within a matter of months, I had the answer. So with your listeners, if they want a coach, first of all, they, they should be talking to a, a great coach by his name of Rafael Gomez. That's number one. Absolutely. Number two is, is they should be asking themselves if they say, you know, where do I find this? Don't say, I don't have this over and over because all they're doing is causing that answer to constantly show up in their lives. Mm. That wall you mentioned, Raphael, the question is, how do I get over this? How do I get around this? How to go through it. How to go through it, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. by asking the right questions, we will always have the right answer. The answer is not the issue. It's the question. Thinking about mistakes or failure, right? A lot of people take that personally. Your mistake does not define who you are. You make a mistake and you learn from it. But a mistake doesn't say, I'm a failure. Like you mentioned, right? You, you get tackled, you got to get up and keep playing. A lot of people take a mistake or something they did not succeed at and they take it to heart. It should be a learning lesson. Every time I make a mistake, I now know what to do differently. So I don't make the same mistake twice. Sometimes I will make the same mistake twice. My gosh, I hope I don't make it the third time because then I'm just, I'm not being too bright here. Learn, 
from every mistake is an opportunity to grow. And you know, one thing that you said is you had the courage to ask yourself, how do I get a mentor? But the real courage came when you asked the question so that she sat in her kitchen and told you her story. And then, because if you didn't ask that question, you wouldn't have asked yourself the second question is, how do I get a mentor? Because she has great Ray Kroc. I don't have anybody. I need somebody, right? So for all my listeners and for anybody who's following you as well, we always need somebody to throw ideas at. We need somebody to look at us because what we see in the mirror is not necessarily 100% true because we lie to ourselves. We, we get into our mind and a lot of times we find faults. We find, we think maybe we're not good enough. And that's a lie because we are good enough. Maybe you just not, like we talked about, you don't have the right approach. You don't have the, sale, the sales mindset of how do I ask it differently? How do I put myself out there? And it's also a fear of people putting themselves out there because even as little kids, we're all salespeople. We're asking mom and dad, can I have this? Can I have a pop? Can I have ice cream? Can I, have, can I go outside? Can I do this? So we're always asking, but like you said is, and your son did it, he came back with different ways of asking. And that's where we have to learn from our mistakes is observe what we did. Look in the mirror. And sometimes, you know, we may look in the mirror and we don't see the whole picture. This is why having a coach is so critical and important. And if we don't have one, we're not going to see that full picture because a coach is going to come and say, hey, by the way, I like you doing the way you're doing this. Have you thought of doing it this way? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? So it's that sounding board, somebody who's going to help you bounce ideas and they'll bounce ideas off of you. And as a, as a coach, you also want somebody who's constantly looking for answers because with every problem, there's an answer and it doesn't matter how big. That's the truth. And uh, I really appreciate you saying that. And right. as, you, as you were speaking, it, it sort of brought me back to how I felt when I asked June Are you? You know, that question. And I have to tell you, Raphael, you know, I was actually a little bit shaking physically. I mean, I, I because, yeah, right. I mean, because here, here I'm working as a buffer. It's got a special buffing pad because all of her tiles were all specially made tiles in the, this, where she had this room where the piano was. And that's, that was the day I was going to talk about it. Mm. And I, I have to tell you, I mean, I really had to muster up every bit of snot-nosed courage that, you know, snot-nosed 16-year-old can muster up and talk and, and, and. It, it, I mean, I really had to do it. And I was really genuinely, even though she had always said nice and I you know, saw him every, every, every Wednesday. Mm. I, it's still, I had to think. Now, here's a thought I'll share with your listeners that will bake some noodles. This will bake some minds. But when they understand what I'm about ready to su suggest, they will begin to get it. It is true that every adversity carries with the seed of an equal or greater benefit. It is important that we relabel those things that we once maybe called failure as now a temporary defeat. But here's the real key. When you really dig down deep and we realize that every, not some, whether we at one time in the past called them a mistake or a trip up or a stumble or a temporary defeat, every single one of them mm. has the seed of an equal or a greater 
benefit. When we realize that, when those times are in front of us, we will begin to welcome them and embrace them. When we can welcome and embrace the challenges when they face us, now we're becoming wise because we understand what they really mean and what they represent when we play that video forward in our mind. Look, look at how many different experiments that were mistakes were used for something else. Think about Febreze. Febreze was not made for what it's being used. It was made for something else. And someone figured it out. And they're like, wait a minute. This eliminates odors. This is incredible. But that's not what Febreze was made for. And it's an incredible story. But when we think about learning from our mistakes, if that person did not learn that Febreze was, even though we're trying to create something else, and all of a sudden it was an accident and it was a mistake, something better came out of it. So what you said is, yes, we have to look at our mistakes. And we have to really genuinely evaluate all of our actions, all of our mistakes, and not only our mistakes, but our triumphs and our success. Because even from success, we can get more success. We just have to have that open mind and, and listen to everybody. Don't be closed-minded. I mean, listen, I can learn from a five-year-old. You did. <laughs> you know, you, you, your son taught you stuff, right? And it's important for us to have that open mind, to be a sponge at all times. Absolutely right. I got to say, what a, what a pleasure it's been to be able to share with you and your listeners, because I think you have such a great podcast. And, and you know, one of, one of the things I noticed with coaches that I can share with you that when, when I was doing full-time consulting, I was able to charge exorbitant amounts of money. Mm. I charged and received $1,500 per hour. Mm -hmm. Now, how did I do that? Yeah. Why? No one wants to pay $1,500 an hour, but they will pay $1,500 for a result. And there's and per hour. So one of the biggest challenges that I can share with the, the, coaches, the coaches and mentors and people that you have that are listeners is that craft the transformational result that you will guarantee and your clients will begin to beat a path to your door. Not the neck, you know, these the, the nebulous calculations and innocuous references mm -hmm. that no one can put their head around. And guess what? No one wants to charge, no one wants to pay for that. You know, it, it's the same old story, and it's almost a cliche, but you know, everyone, all the millions of drills right. that are sold every single day, but no one wants a drill, everyone wants a hole. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so the difference is what we as consultants and coaches begin to guarantee a result and i would invest mm -hmm. one two three days with clients and i'd say i want to let you know in all fairness i don't know if i can accept you as a client yet but and for those one or two three days i was learning about them their business mm -hmm. and looking for the ways where i could produce a result that meant so much to them that by comparison the fifteen hundred dollars an hour they were paying me was insignificant because of the result i gave them and it was quantifiable so not this kind of thing, I'll come in and I'll help you in the namby-pamby kind of thing. You know, those guys are knocking right. on doors of businesses all day long and the business owners just look at them and they just say, Geez, I need that like a hole in the head. But if you can go in and say, I can produce this result and here it is with specificity and this specific result. Right. And I and I got to tell you, $1,500 an hour is an almost an unrealistic number for most people. And I got it all the time because I, because I took I did it right. I thought about what do they need? 
And I didn't just do it because I was interested in getting this incredible bill. And, and it was because I had determined something and saw something they didn't see and knew that I could quantify a result that they had not recognized and unearth a value they had not seen. And I would craft that and help them. And then I got dollars that people would just scratch their heads. I don't even know how he's getting paid that. And it was all because it wasn't about me. It was about my client. And I wasn't doing the normal coachy thing. Yeah. Pay me so much per hour and we're going to talk about it and we're all going to sing Kumbaya. It doesn't work that way. You know, the business owner doesn't want yeah. that. He wants a result. He wants the, he'll, he'll buy the drill, but you better be able to give him the hole. And as a coach, I reference your listeners, be ready to deliver the hole. And if you can't tell them and show him what the hole looks like, you're just kidding yourself. Don't even try to sell them the drill. When we think about a coach or someone who mentors somebody without payment, it's not the hour, half hour, days, weekend, retreat. It's You're not paying for that, right? Nobody was paying you $1,500 for that hour. They were paying for what's in here or your knowledge, but with your knowledge, you did not accrue in an hour. You accrued over all your years, all your experiences, all of your dealings. That's what they're paying for. And a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, oh, he's too expensive. I just sat down with somebody yesterday and they're like, oh, you know, my friends, they pay so, so much over here. I said, you know what? And you're welcome to go over there. I said, absolutely. I said, I'm not the cheapest guess what? I am the best. So you have to make a decision and you have to do what's right for your family. I said, but if you want my services, I will go above and beyond what you would normally get from anywhere else. And it'll wind up costing you more going with someone else. But the decision is finally yours. You have to do what's right for you. And I've given you this amount of time so you can make an educated decision. I didn't say to you the first time we met, this is what it is. I said, no, we need to see each other. We need to take time so you, I can understand you, like you said, and I, you can understand me. And then you make an educated decision. Because if I would have told you my price day one, you would have said, no, no way, that's too much. But now, what do you think? And he's like, ah, I get it. I said, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to show me the value. And a lot of people don't do that. They don't take the time. I charge them nothing to start. And I said to them, I don't want to give you my price. I'm going to charge you very little. And this is so we can see if I'm going to accept you as a client and if you want me, because it has to be a two-way street. It's not just you looking at me. I'm looking at you. Do I even want to work with you? Am I going to put my effort, my skills, my experience, and my time into you? If you say my hour is too expensive, you got to think about my hour coming to you is not just, I'm not just giving you an hour. Maybe I thought of it last night. Maybe I was thinking about you and your situation, or I've even put more effort than an hour in order to come up with, to help with your solution. People don't see that. They don't see that at all. I agree. And uh, as, a, as a parting thought, I'll just sort of share Beautiful. something I used to do to get around the price issue right away. And I nailed it right away from the very beginning. Yes. First time I met. And I did say no more than yes when I accepted clients in the past. Um, you know, now everything I do is through Givers University. And it's a different, you know, a different part of time in my life. 
But from the very beginning, I did a simple thing that my mentor taught me. And I, and, but I, you have to be able, when you do this, you have to be able to deliver on it. And I would ask the client in our very first meeting, I'll say, do you have a quarter? And they say, you know, and they, they would say yes or no. If they said yes. And I said, uh, can I see it? And if they said no, I would make them go get one and then come back. I'd sit there and wait. I said, then I need, you need to get a quarter so I can show you something. And they get a quarter and come back. And when they hand, and I, I put out my hand and they would give me the quarter and I would put it and I would give them a dollar back. I said, now, if we work together, I'm going to do that over and over again. Beautiful. Now, based on what I just showed you, how many quarters do you want to give me? And I said, so mm-hmm. we're never going to talk about fees because I'm going to charge you what I think is right. But whatever you pay me, this is going to be the equation you're going to get back. So let me ask you. Never. It's an investment. Could you ever, based on what I just showed you, could you ever pay me too much? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. And it was done. We never talked about money after that. One last thing. You started a giver's university, not a taker's university. <laughs> so and from everything that we've talked about today, it's very obvious. You were given the opportunity and you turned it down. <laughs> and then you realize, wait a minute, this is an amazing opportunity. And with that opportunity came, pass it forward. You got to give it back. And so you have, and you created a giver's university. That's amazing. That's, give me a quick rundown on, the, on that university. Yes, and it's, it's really a blessing. And uh, for your listeners, we, 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 we'd love to be able to share something, uh, compliments of your podcast with your listeners. And mm. all I do is go to the website and they will see on every page a part where they can sign up for our free newsletter. Put in their first name and email. That's all they have to do. And then we will begin to give them tools that they will be able to use because and just the, the, the quick reference, I guess you could say, on what we teach overall is we teach discernment. And it's something that and I can share with you when I go through the explanation over and over again, everyone says, man, no one's teaching that today. And it really is not being taught anywhere else. And I can share with you, like I mentioned, I do one to three interviews a day mm-hmm. and no one person has told me, you know, that's exactly, this is being taught over there. Not one. And here's what we have today. Business is opening and closing faster than ever before in history. Products being overcome, yeah. products being antiquated overnight by other new products faster than ever before. So what do we have left? We have our relationship. Now, I'm a self-improvement guy. I'm positive you are too. I'm positive a lot of our listeners are, and I'm for it. Self-improvement is great. But you know what no one's teaching us? What about the other guy? What if he's not doing it right? What should I do about that? And, my, and uh, this, I was talking with another gentleman in another interview, and he said, you know, he said, uh, he said, that's interesting. I just read a book that said we should have five really good people around us all the time. I said, you know, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I said, now let me ask you one simple question. Which five? And all of a sudden he stared back at me and there was this blank look on his face. <laughs> I said, do you understand my point? Mm. I said, no one's teaching us what to look for. We teach discernment. And I want to share with your listeners, we love everybody. We love everybody. I say it emphatically. However, we teach how to separate the person who we love mm. from their deeds, which we may not love. And we filtered it and sifted it all the way down to where you can no longer say how to do that. It's not innocuous information where you say, that sounded good. What do I do now? But to genuine checklist to look for specific things and deeds that people are doing to begin then to discern should I pull that person closer, closer into my life? Right. 
because givers bring with them wisdom, wealth, and wellness, the three W's. Or should I begin to respectfully distance myself, not nasty or rude or insensitive, respectfully distance myself because takers bring with them the three D's of defeatism, disruption, and destruction. And when I bring that person into my life, they're going to make me unwilling collateral damage mm -hmm. in all the fires they're going to bring with. And I'm going to be stomping out fires instead of producing results. So my productivity goes down. My stress level is going up instead of going down. Mm -hmm. My energy is going to get drained instead of being replenished. All because no one's teaching how do we discern who we should have in our life and who we shouldn't, not based on what they're saying. Right. So when we say giver, we're not labeling a person, we're labeling their deeds. When we say taker, we're not labeling a person, we're labeling the deeds of a person. And what are the specific exact things you should be looking for, literally in a checklist form that you can, that they can use that says, you know what, I need to be watching that. And, you know, we have one list that's called the 25 do's we're going to give to your listeners absolutely free. And when they see that someone's like on 13 on one side, they can start thinking, you know what, I can tell they're being a little takerish. I should start, I should start discerning and being aware and maybe respectfully distance myself because when I bring them in closer, my stress level's going up. I'm going to be stomping out fires. I don't need to be stomping out. So no one's teaching us, again, going back to referencing when I was getting my private pilot license, one of the first things my instructor said when we were in the cockpit was, look out the window. Right. Now, whether for those, I, I will explain it because I, we may be on audio and visual or just one of them. But he said, look out the window. And when you see a plane off in the distance and it's about the size of about an inch, mm -hmm. and then a few minutes later, it's about six inches in the window. Yeah. <laughs> he said, be concerned. He said, the reason why mm -hmm. is because that plane's coming at you. It's getting bigger. And the closure rate might be 600 miles an hour. He said, what you want to do is look at the plane off in the distance and you want it to be six inches and then maybe get to the four inches and then three inches and one inches in length as you look in the windshield. He said, because then you're getting farther away from it. Mm. We teach people, Raphael, look at the plane, look at the distance, look at the distance, look at... And before you pull them into your life, so we teach discernment in relationships, discern who you should have in your life, who you should not, not judging them, but looking at their deeds. And we simply say the following, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talk. Mm, love it. Love it. Our deeds, our deeds speak louder mm. than our words. Choose our words carefully discern who we're going to have as our mentor. But when we have that mentor, then listen to them. Discern who we're going to have as our coach and then be discerning and teach other people how to discern too. And their productivity will go up, stress level goes down, and their energy always goes up as a direct result of learning a skill set that's just not being taught. So that's what we teach. And for your listeners, go to our website, giversuniversity.com, just that simple. And Sign up for the newsletter. Within minutes, they're going to get a list, one checklist that's called the six arrows that take or shoot at givers, uh, which is quite eye-opening. A couple of days later, they're going to get the 25 dues. Yeah. We're givers. That's the name of our university. So we will invest in them and give them great tools that they can use. And that starts the relationship. You know, EA, if they take the right step, they go to your website and then they have to give you their information, right? In order to receive, you have to give. So anybody listening, let's go to giversuniversity.com and let's give 
And my gosh, he's going to give you so much more than you're giving. So thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And what an amazing person you are. I, I loved our conversation. Thank you, Raphael. And I hope you and I can, can connect even further and deeper and thank you. be friends. You know, it's, it's not easy for me to just talk to someone, meet them right away and say, I want to talk to that guy more. And I feel that way about you. You're very easy to talk to. And that just goes to show me the type of coach you are. Because if it's hard to talk to somebody, they're not that good of a coach, in my eyes anyway. You know, that's how I feel. Thank you, Raphael. And uh, the feeling is mutual, my friend. We're members of the Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, I love it. I love it. Great. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. And I hope your listeners share your podcast because I think the coaching call is a great podcast to share with others. And if they have people in their life that maybe are being a little takerish, you know, and they want to broach the subject in a great third party way, your podcast uh, is a great way to share with someone else by simply saying, you know what? Mm. I listen to podcast and it's very thought provoking and I like it. Listen to it. Tell me what you think of it. And you never know. You may end up stomping out one less fire, may sort of think about coaching a little bit different. And uh, they may be smart enough to be able to give uh, Rafael Gomez a call and ask him how he can help him with their life. So thank you for having me on your great podcast, Rafael. Thank you. Absolutely. And you know, one thing that you said, I am, I'm very fortunate about having so many different amazing coaches on my podcast. So anybody who does reach out to me and you want to connect with one of my amazing coaches, if you want to reach out, obviously you're going to go to giversuniversity.com. But if you want to reach out to, to you, I'll definitely connect you. And I don't know if you're personally doing coaching anymore, but anybody who is interested in coaching, definitely reach out. I'll definitely hook you up. Rafael, have yourself an awesome, in fact, have your best day ever. Thank you, sir. You too. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.